Okay, so I'm here with Joseph Holt, and I'm explaining to Joe that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And it's clear that the art to which you have given your life and are making your living is the art of music. Is this correct? That is correct, yes. yes. And as a player and also as the, uh, what, are, what are your titles? I am the artistic director for Choral Artists of Sarasota, mm -hmm. which is the professional chorus here in Sarasota. I'm also the artistic director for the Artist Series Concerts of Sarasota. Seems to me it's a huge amount of responsibility. You can't call this work. So, I mean, music has a way of you know, invigorating you anyway. I mean, it invades all of us. We all react to music. We all respond to it. I don't know, you feel alive all the time. I mean, you know, I, I want to stop you because this is something I want to get to, and I, but I want to get to it later. Okay. I only ask one question, and it is, can you remember, and then can you tell me, the very first time that music called you, became interesting to you, you thought about it, you wanted to do it, any of that? There are several points in my early life. I do remember, but I was probably... Four, five, mm -hmm. right around there. Right. And I remember sitting with the organist in the church and fascinated by all the sounds that were coming from not only the, the various levels of keyboards, which right. they call ranks, um, but also the feet. I mean, all these things were happening and there was this amazing sound coming out of this. And I was mesmerized by it. And I would sit with that organist and, and, and listen to her play. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm, I'm watching you and listening to you, and it's clear that that memory is still alive. Oh, very me. much so. I yeah. mean, I can, I can see it as though sitting there right now. And I had not had a music lesson. I mean... Right, so this was really impactful. Right. Very much so. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I'm eight years old. Mm -hmm. And my dad is at a Presbyterian church right outside of, of Washington, D.C., and the music director there is a young man by the name of Bob Chambliss, and he and his wife um, are, are setting up their musical shop. And he recruits a lot of the younger kids for some music lessons. Now, these are not you know, specifically for an instrument. This is actually just to learn sort of the mechanics, you know, the nuts and bolts. You know, the, you know, and, and a lot of it had to do with you know, then you, you, we were part of a youth choir. You know, so so, we, so, they, so, so they there were was singing, singing involved. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there was also a lot of, of theory type of things. I mean, you know, for an eight-year-old, I mean, they were just trying to... Theory? You know, um, these are the notes of the chords? These are the notes like of the chords. These are, you know, the, 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 that's how you read music and, and things like that. Well, his wife was a harp player, mm -hmm. and she was also teaching piano. And the, the music director went to my dad and said, you know, I think your son would benefit from piano lessons. Do you, do you have any idea what made him say that? I have no idea. But except, he must, yeah. Except I was a hyperactive child, and I think he firmly believed <laughs> that if he got that energy focused somehow, that he would somehow, you know, magically find this musical talent, or at least, you know, I'd be focused in on something, because I was scattered all over the place. And according to my mom, there, at one point, there was a, a, a committee formed at one of the churches to pray over the soul of little Joey Holt because he was such a hellion. Oh my I mean, God. It was me. I mean, I was just into everything. And so I was, my parents came to me and they, they said, you know, you, you, he wants to put you in piano lessons. What do you think about that? And my dad said, you know, you, you can, I mean, but I'm going to give you an option. You can uh, take piano lessons. We can, you know, look at Little League, 
you know, so I could be you know, right, playing the, the right. baseball teams. Or you can join the Cub Scouts. Because this is back in the 60s when, you yeah. know, the choices were few. Yes. You know, and you chose one. You didn't choose all of them. It was quite um, evolved of your parents to give you that choice and not to say, so we think you should do this. You know, right. we, we so want a little baseball player or we want a little musician. Right. right. So there was no pressure yeah, on great. their part. Right. You know, plus, we didn't have a piano at home. I mean, oh. So I mean, they were, they were going to be pushing me into piano right. lessons if they didn't have a piano. But there was a piano available at the church. Mm -hmm. So that's not a, that wasn't a problem. Then uh, well, my grandmother well, yeah. also played piano. Ah. And so she started lobbying me on the side and saying, I think you would do great with the piano, you know, I mean, and she would play for me on occasion, and here again, it harkens back to my experience of sitting next to this organist, yes. and I'd watch that, and I, and I thought, hmm, I think I want to try that, That's uh -huh. and from the first lessons, it was obvious that there was some innate connection to this instrument yes. that was happening. Um, my parents ultimately bought a piano, um, but for a while I had one of those paper fold-outs, yes, you know, I and I would play on the paper fold-outs. The they'd take it on trips, and I'd sit in the back, you know, seat or car playing the thing, and and that's how I, you know, basically developed. And by the end of the first year, so that I've, there's only a year of lessons I've had. So at the end of the first year, I'm already playing the Moonlight Sonata. Oh, my God. So, I mean, not the whole thing. Just no, the first yeah, year, right. But as, as a eight, nine-year-old, whatever I was, you know, so I'm already playing, you know, music that's, you know, and I'm fascinated by. So much so that my parents had to tell me to stop practicing <laughs> right. because it was too much, not only for me, but probably for them too, you know, who wants to hear somebody, you know, trying to figure out notes and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it, that's hell. Well, even, even but, Moonlight Sonata can get boring if you have to hear it over right, and over. Right, exactly. Right. But I was fascinated by it. And, and so they would, they would ask me to, you know, for my own health's sake, go outside and play, you know, do something, you know. But it did provide the focus. Well, and it also sounds like it, it's what you said, that, that what they were hoping for is what it did. It focused you. And in, in that sense, I was going to say it slowed you down, but it, it did both, right? It, right, exactly. Right? Yeah, it, so it, had, it accomplished two things. Yeah. And it awakened you know, in me yes. this intense desire to be a musician somehow. Now, the teacher at the time said... You know, you don't have to do this as a profession, you know. You can, I have plenty of students who are doctors and they, they turn right around, you know, they, they come home after their surgeries and they play the piano and that's a way of, you know, winding down. It's, it can be therapeutic, you know, it's just a way of expressing, you know, your inner self. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought about that. And, but now, wait I, a minute, she's saying this to a nine-year-old? A nine, ten-year-old. Because yeah, right. I'm already expressing these, these things. I was already having dreams. You know, where I'd be playing, and I have no idea what I was playing, but I was playing something, and there were, there were people. Yes. You know, and so that was... So, and this is so wonderful to me, yeah. because I, I always want to highlight when it comes up that for so many people, there's a moment, and they know it. They just know it. This is what, this belongs to me. This is what I am. This is what I have to be or do. And I, I, I like to say that, unfortunately... Not everybody gets to, to live that out. That's true. 
I mean, there, there are those... Yes, it doesn't mean that they don't get it. You may have the intense it. desire and you may have the dream. That's but right. But there, there's also a you know, thing called happenstance and luck and you know, circumstance. Well, all kinds of things get in the way. But the fact that this can and does happen, and it happens to a lot of people. So I, I really like to stop and say, see? <laughs> okay, good. It's a great thing, you know, to, I mean, even if you're not going to be... Exactly. I mean, the next Paganini, the next Horowitz, or the next, you know, um, Ian McKellen, or, you know, any of these people, you know, who are, are really top-notch in their field, and they're making a living at this, and they're making a living, you know, in spades. Now, you can still participate as, you know, in the arts. Yes. Your life can be in the arts. Yes. But you, it doesn't have to be your profession, which I think is what this teacher is trying, trying to tell, to tell you. Right? Yeah. Okay, now, good. I didn't believe her. <laughs> because at the time, I thought, well, that was my ideal. Now, yes. So... This is now, I'm getting to be 11, 12, and suddenly, uh-oh, I have to start working. I have been riding on a natural ability. Like I said, it just woke up something in me. I started playing, and everything just sort of naturally happened. At a certain point, that innate ability it Doesn't, reached It can only go limit, so far, right, you know? yeah. It was then up to me to make it happen even more. Right. You know, and, and then really become you know, the dedicated pianist. Well, at that point, I thought, like Hell. <laughs> Why am I going to work at this? You know, I mean, so I almost quit. Really? Yes, I almost quit because I did not see the benefit whatsoever. And the, the, the teacher that I was working with was more of a taskmaster, you know, and she thought, okay, we've got to get you developed. And I sat with her and my dad, and she explained to me, you know, what she thought I was capable of doing. Wow. She said, but I can't make you do this. I can only show you what potential you might have wow. down the pike. And I, I, my dad was a very thoughtful man. I, on the way home from that lesson, he said, so son, you've got a choice to make here. And I think that, you know, Miss Prey has given you the, the wherewithal, you know, but do you think you can do it? We'd love to see you succeed no matter what you choose. Wow. I mean... It's I'm, great. You had great parents. Great parents, you know. And so I then chose to continue. Well, this, this teacher left. So then I was forced to find somebody else. And the teacher that I ended up in for my high school years then became, you know, my big mentor and, and really turned me on and got me going and focused. Are you giving this teacher credit for how hard you were then able to work? Yes, I do. You know, even though, I mean, there was a subsequent teacher that took over because she left the area. But um, uh, she was the one uh, that, I mean, this is the one who, yeah. who sat down with me and said, look, this is what it's going to take. And, and she was talking about, you know, to be that, the, the, the realization of the dream that I had, which was playing, you know, yeah. being the musician. And, and she said, in order to realize that, you know, this is what you're going to go through in music school, what you're going to go through in life. And, and wow. So, Do you remember any of the specifics of that? I'm just curious. What it, it, I remember she talked a little bit about some of the, the rigors of going to a school like the Juilliard School of Music. Yeah. And uh, even though I didn't go to Juilliard, I went to the Eastman School of Music, she, um, what she pointed out was that you know, there's a lot of rigorous training that has to go into it. It doesn't detract. And this is what the important thing I did. That I think a lot of students miss out on, you know, whether the, whatever the discipline is. It does not detract from the art to know how to do it. Yes. Yes. It to, actually, not to have, yeah, to have actually, the technique. Right. It enhances the art in right. the long run. 
But you know, when you're when you're 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 young and I full of idealism and you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, the greatest guitar player in the world, you know, and I don't need to learn how to play the scales. Right. At the time, the concept was, oh, please, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to, who, and, but he was absolutely right. And, and because for me, yeah. it was there, you know, and, and for the majority of my life, you know, as I've gone from school to school or, or educational system, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it's always been surrounded by people who had this incredible desire, and they knew this, yeah, and it's, it changes your perspective, have, in the sense that, you know, the, the, uh, y you're focused, you, you, you know what your path is. Okay, so you're 12, yeah. and, you've, and you say, okay, I <clears throat> go for it. So what happens? So I went for it and, and, you know, just started applying myself even more, which wasn't a problem. That wasn't the issue. What because was I was already spending the time. Yes, more time than anybody wanted you right, to. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Yes. And my brother was going to write a book called How to Survive Piano Music. <laughs> so, from my perspective, it wasn't a time issue. Right. It was, it was actually more an issue of applying the time correctly. And, and really working with the native ability and learning how to then train the, the fingers and the mind. and It just became you know, a, a question of, all right, so I do have to practice the scales. I do have to practice the exercises. I, you know, it's not just learning the pieces. But the teacher was very smart. This is not the, you know, the teacher that gave me the advice. This is now the, the, new, one. the new one. You know, she recognized, too, that I had this ability. And you know, for her, I think it's every instructor's dream to have someone come along, you know, who is just like the epitome of the perfect student. Not that I was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but you know what I'm saying, in the, in the sense that, you know, I, I was the one for her yes. who was going to go on and, and do something in the musical field and make, you know, a, And make a music your life, right. And make it my life. And she instilled in me, a, you know, a great a love of music and, and actually the love of hard work. You know, and she would do it through, you know, here's how she was smart. She did it through the actual pieces. Uh -huh. So instead of doing, you know, just all the t traditional, you know, scales and arpeggios and right, right, all right, those right. exercises, which you have to do, um, she would find music that was actually challenging and would have those things in it. Yes. And then she'd say, okay, so in order to do this, you've got to play this first. Yes. yes. Uh -huh. So, you know, here became the method to, you know, okay, now I can finally achieve this. Yes, and this yes, is yes, how I'm going to yes, do it. Yes. Now, she was a strict classicist. She didn't believe in any popular music whatsoever. Oh, my gosh. Now, it's not that she didn't like it. Right. But she thought that for a serious pianist, you know, you are not going to play Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms and then go off and do, you know... Um, rock and roll. Rock and roll. Right. Or you are not going to play a Broadway show or something like that. Oh, right. Right? So, but that's where we differed. And I'm a bit of a... Well, I'll just say I'm a Leo. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bullish uh -huh. and, and, and I'm strong-willed. Yes. And, and you know what you want. Well, yeah. And the thing is, I liked all music. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just, you know, piano. I mean, I loved the piano. I loved the sounds and stuff like that. But this is also the time when I was being turned on by Verdi. Yes. With opera. And I was just, I mean, I, I wanted to be an opera conductor. Wow. That's what I really wanted to do. And then... Um, uh, in, in high school, I played for some of the high school musicals, and you know, and she just thought, no, that's 
it's not a, not a waste of your time, but it's actually taking time away from your development yeah. oh, as yeah. the, the, right. the classical pianist. So um, she convinced me to apply for the Eastman School of Music when I was a junior in high school. And that's where she went. Ah. So there was that tradition. And Eastman said, yes, we'll, we'll accept you, but we think it better if you finish your high school year first. When I arrived at the Eastman School, as the director said, none of you are going to be Horowitz. He said, but you are going to be the best musician you can possibly be. And you then raise the level of, of the quality of music in the community. Right. And that's exactly what I took away from that. And, and know, it is what you do. It is what I do. Right. You know, and it, but it also fed into my idealism about you know, not only being the musician, but also you know, from my dad's upbringing. I mean, he was a Presbyterian minister. And yeah, you want to the, do good in the world. There is that yeah, aspect of it too, you know, yeah. and music does that, you know, and I mean, it's, it's probably the best ambassador that we have. Um, this was actually speaking to all of your instincts, yeah. right? Well, I mean, but there, yes, but there's also the other fact that, you know, there was, oh, well, of course I'm going to play, you know, like Horowitz or I'm going to yeah, play right, like right, Rubenstein. Right. Never mind. Right. Yeah, never mind what he said. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, so right, I'm right, still right. going to play like that. Right, right. You know, and, and that's the, the youthful mm -hmm. yeah. vigor. <laughs> well, I think that's what gets you through, isn't it? It is, you, you know, know, and you have to have a lot of fortitude yes. in this business. Yeah, you have to believe in yourself. Yeah. And, and yeah, fortunately, I've been nurtured by people around me who also believe in me. You know, when you graduate with a bachelor's degree, you know, for musicians, you, know, you then go through a series of auditions. There are also the competitions you go through. And then you, there's also the other educational route you can take, you know, going all the way up through the doctorate, right. doctor of music, and eventually, you know, accepting a university position. But you're still expected to participate in the discipline itself. You're not yes. just instructing the next ones to do it. At Eastman, I ended up accompanying almost every single incoming vocal audition to the school because I could sight read. Yeah. So I did all those auditions that gave me great experience, you know, working with singers. So now decades later, it all makes sense. But at the time, I wasn't sure what that meant. And, and uh, the teacher said, you know what, we know the people in New York you should meet. And we'll introduce you and get you set up, and then it's up to you. The teacher, though, that I had in high school, she got wind of this. And she said, absolutely not. She, she and a couple of friends got together, raised money, and said, we're going to give you this money, and we want you to come to Washington, D.C., and finish study. Go back to school? Yeah. You're kidding. Uh -huh. Well, again... Uh, and here I'm thinking, all right, do I, read, do I want to go to New York and strike out on my own and find out if I can do this and, and, and there's that unknown? Or, hmm, I could continue studying. Right. And they're going to, they gave me the, the... That's amazing. The place to stay, the piano to practice on. Oh my god. I mean, I stayed with my piano teacher basically, you know, and she but she and her husband were traveling and they were never there. So I took yeah, I took care of they had three cats, so I took care of the cats. And uh, <laughs> that was my return. And uh, what, well, I you're, gave, you're what not... I get back. But then I studied with a local teacher, you know, and then I started working on my masters. Of course. So You're not kidding when you say you had a charmed life here with mm -hmm. this. Absolutely. Oh my God! You no, know, and I don't take that for granted whatsoever. No. So, did you get a master's in what? I got a master's in piano performance. In the '80s, I did some conducting with um, a local theater and with the Georgetown Gilbert and Sullivan Society. 
not only working on the masters, but I was a freelance musician. I called myself a beltway bandit to a certain extent. You know, ah, there's that big yeah. beltway that right, goes around. Right, right, right. And basically, I would drive around the beltway, and that's why. And you would work it. wherever you worked. Right. right. Now, whether that was working in you know a theater or doing playing a concert, because I was actually doing some serious things too, um, or sometimes. I was accompanying a vocal duo that did a lot of performances up and down the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So we would travel a bit, and, and so I, it was a it, it was a good life, mm -hmm. um, but it was the life of a bohemian. Yes, yes. And I began to think, what is this life going to be like when I'm fifty or sixty? How old were you at the time? I was twenty six, uh, twenty seven. Yeah. Well, you. So I'm you, starting to think ahead. Yes. And you know what what is the future going to hold? And I talked to a friend of mine from, from my Eastman days, who had moved down to the D.C. area as well, and she was singing with the United States Army Band. And she said, well, you know, Joe, there's a position open with the chorus of the band, and it's, it's to accompany the chorus, to be the pianist for the chorus. Mm -hmm. it, 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 not that you would consider this for the rest of your life, but right. you could audition for this position, and... It would provide you, you know, not only uh, good income and support and stability and the like, but it would give you some opportunity to to think and and figure out something. Yeah, it would look good on your resume. Well, not like, yeah, exactly. But also, you know, after three years, right. which I could have left after three years, um, do you? Go on, you know, to finish up, the, you know, the degrees, or you know, is there yeah, some other playing opportunity? It's going to be rise or or whatever. I mean, so it it gave me that little buffer. Yeah. So, I ultimately auditioned for it and took the position, and kept it for twenty years. Oh my God! Yes. So there, that was the big surprise. I mean, who would have thought that you know when I was nine, ten years old? Yes. That now I'm actually in the United States Army. But I'm playing the piano. <laughs> But it's still, you see, it's, it's not really the no, dream, but no. it's still the dream. Yes, right? it is. It because is. it's still being the musician. It's a variation on the theme. It's a variation. <laughs> and the, it was great to, to, you know, because I got to meet all these presidents. Oh! I played for every single president from Nixon up through Obama. Oh, my God! Right? And, I mean, they weren't sitting presidents at the time. This right, is, you know, right. I mean, they were in, 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 in attendance for things. I played at the White House. I played at the vice president's <laughs> house. I played at the vice president's house the night that Al Gore conceded the election. I was there. I heard his speech two hours before he gave it to the nation. So it, it did something that I, I really liked, and that is it was a permanent position. Yes. In Washington D.C., which is where I grew up, so I knew it, and it also allowed me to establish, you know, keep you know, the the established connections that I already had. Yes. So, all the things that I was doing in the '80s, 1980s, then in the 1990s, when I was you know then with the United States Army Band, I was still able to continue doing because yes. the beauty of it was one, it was permanently posted. Two, we were the only unit in the military that's allowed to practice. Inside and outside the military, doctors can't do this, lawyers can't do this, but musicians can. And what the military bands in D.C. do, I mean, it's, it's to their credit, they, they hire the best possible musicians they, they can. We had to, on a dime, present a performance and, and it had to appear perfectly polished. For me, I mean, obviously, being the sight reader I was, right. I mean, it, right. that, but that was easy. But for the chorus, 
they'd have to learn sometimes a, a foreign language piece, ah. you know, because they had a visiting dignitary from the Philippines. Yeah, right, right. So they'd have to have something in Tagalog that, you know, that they could say, <laughs> you know, and they'd have to learn it that day, and we'd rehearse it, and then we'd go out and do it that night, and the, the visiting dignitary would be so touched and so moved. Yes. It's an all-male ensemble. The last all-male ensemble left. It was created by Congress in 1956, and it would take an act of Congress to undo that. And we can see, you know, these days what... It's an unlikely. <laughs> it's very unlikely. <laughs> so it was great working with this, you know, 30 guys. I mean, it was like, it was like a, a, a musical fraternity. And we did all these performances in a variety of places when and Condoleezza Rice was the Secretary of State. You know, I mean, she's a pianist. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, quite accomplished, too. And she, uh, we did something at the White House. I think it was a, a battle hymn of the Republic. And it has a very intricate piano part in it, and, and it's very flashy and the like. And after the performance, we were standing in the hallway waiting to get, you know, to leave the, the White House. And she came up, she says, I just want to know, who was that playing the piano? <laughs> <laughs> Those fun things like that. Oh, you know? that's and, great. And sometimes you'd see the behind-the-scenes person and see the uh, more real version. Yeah, of you'd see they, the human. The human side. Mm -hmm. The only one who was not was, uh, I'm sorry to say, was uh, Dan uh, Quayle. Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle was exactly the same <laughs> he was in a puppet, person right? as he, he was. was. Right. <laughs> he just always looked like he had like a yeah. deer in the headlights. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, fascinating to me. You know, and, and, you know, so it, it, that started to hone my skills further working with voices. Yes. And, but then in the process, you know, I had the benefit of staying in D.C. and working on my doctor. And the military helped pay for it. Wow. So from Again, yes. again, you are just Nurture. given this stuff. Amazing. So um, I have a doctor in music uh, and arts in piano and chamber music. So I decided, you know, it's, it's time to diversify a little bit. So let's, you know, do something that's, you know, using the piano but with other instruments and right. voices. So... The whole degree was based upon that premise, and there was no um, uh, final thesis, which is one of the reasons I chose this school, you know, the Catholic University. Um, it, it was a performance degree. Ah. So, what it what happens? Your final thesis is a performance yes. that you present, mm -hmm. but they choose the repertoire. Oh, you're this kidding! This committee from the school chooses, and you're given sixty days in which to learn it and prepare it. Wow. And Presented. So what did you have to play? Uh, there was a set of variations by Beethoven for cello and piano on, on some, some themes from Mozart's Magic Flute, the Schubert B-flat major trio, and the last, the second half was the Dvorak piano quintet. I mean, huge stuff. Oh my God. Huge stuff. But, yeah. so here's the, 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 what's really great. I had already been established in D.C., I knew all these wonderful musicians. I mean, I've worked with members of the National Symphony. Right. I even went off on tour with them one time, you know, through Europe for five weeks. And, you know, so these were colleagues of mine, and I just called upon them, and I said, so who has played these pieces, and who would like to play them again? And we'll do them in this concert at, at Catholic University. Oh, you involved other musicians? Yes. I it wasn't just me. Oh, I see. Yeah, so I gathered the musicians together, and I just picked the musicians that really knew it, and... and you know, and it's music I loved, and it's music I And you I knew it anyway, right. But it was great. You know, once I graduated in the Army, I still had the, the military title, as well as the, the civilian title. But the Army had to come first. So I was always Sergeant Dr. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you know, not only did I have the, you know, this extraordinary opportunity to finish up the doctorate and you know, be working now with the United States, and I wasn't convinced I was going to stay with the Army, but it seemed, you know, as the years went on that why wouldn't why? I? It was because then I realized, you know, I, after you've been there a couple of years, you, you understand the rhythm yes. of a given year and how that works, and it doesn't change that much. So you know when your intense periods are going to be, you know when you're you're going to have a lighter you know, schedule and, and the like. So they, like I said, they allowed us to work outside of the military as long as it was understood that if the military came calling for anything. And you know we, we really were members of the, the army. I mean I'm I've gone through basic training. Wow. Yeah, I'm an expert at throwing grenades. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. I, that. I don't use that too often. <laughs> But you never know. Yeah, you know. Right, right, right. Well, these days, gosh. You know. <laughs> Let's hope nobody comes calling. But um, uh, so I ended up not only doing performances outside. You know, I mean, I was still of an age where I could do some some music competition, so I did some of that. And then um, uh, one of my musical gurus in Washington, D.C. I call him a guru, but he was my hero to a certain extent. I, mean, I, I loved working with this man. He was the artistic director and founder of the Choral Arts Society of Washington. And they had been founded in sometime in the 60s, mid-60s, I think. And, and he had an assistant who worked with him, and that assistant died. Uh. And Norman called me, me up and, and, and said, Joe, uh, I, this is not the way I expected that you and I would be potentially working together. Um, but I have this opportunity, and I'm wondering if you would like to come and talk to me, and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, I had known him for probably 10 years, you know, and had gone in and just played you know, either rehearsals with him or sometimes performances, and I was always captivated by his larger-than-life approach. I mean, it was just this... He was a big guy, too. I mean, six five or so and you know he, he commanding presence and you know his his way with people was always gentle yet um uh, demanding and you know exact and, uh, and and just trying to get to the essence of the musical score yeah so i mean he's speaking directly to me yes you know and, and that's yeah. it we're resonating and i'm thinking how can i turn this down so I said, well, Norman, yeah, I'm in the midst of finishing up my doctorate. I'm also teaching at American University, and I'm teaching at George Mason University. I'm in the Army, and I've got all the... I just don't know. And, and he said, I'll tell you what, I, I'll wait. He says, because you are worth it. Wow. So I finished those things up, and then in September, you know, this all happened February, March time frame, and in September, um, I joined him. And I became his, you know, his associate, and... That was one of the best things I ever could have done. Wow. So for 15 years, until oh my I, God. yeah, from 1995 to 2010, um, I was his right hand man, and we were like brothers. I mean, joined at the hip. I mean, he's, he's Norman, he would have been, he died a couple of years ago. He would have been probably 20 years older than me. Wow. Perhaps. And, um, but his intense passion for music and people. Yeah, I mean, both of those things. I mean, I'm a people person, yep. and I'm passionate about music. And so, like I said, both of those spoke to me, and, and, and it, it became then very obvious when we were working together that I was reading his mind. Oh. 
you know yes you know and say, and we he he would just look at me and and, and we you were in sync i mean how does that happen but it does it does you know and it it was just it was such a beautiful thing and when um uh the end of my tenure was coming up with the army and i knew that it was going to be coming up in in 2010 i wasn't uh, i could have stayed i yes. mean cuz you know they they had actually extended the the you know, it was no longer 55 that you had to retire. You could actually retire at age 62. And I was only going to be 50, but I, you know, I could have stayed an additional 12 years if I wanted to. But, you know, after you've done something over and over and over and over, you know, and, and it doesn't really change. No. You start to get a little stale. <laughs> and I was beginning to feel that something was not right inside of me. Mm -hmm. And what it was is that I was becoming complacent. Oh, and that's not me. No, <coughs> excuse me, not me at all. So, I went to Norman and I said, you know, I'm thinking about um, leaving the army. Mm -hmm. And there was some talk about being the heir apparent. Yes, you know, with this organization, he was. He says, you know, I was wondering, you know, what would happen. He says, I'm not ready to step down right now, but I was just wondering what would happen at the end of your, you know, if you would be taking this over wow. for me. And it, it didn't happen that way for a variety of reasons. One, he wasn't ready. And two, um, I had, uh, with the Army, we had been sent down to Southwest Florida in the spring of 2005. Uh -huh. And I had arrived into Sarasota and took a peek around here and thought, <laughs> right. wow, isn't this great, you know, and, and I'm a beach lover, first oh. and foremost, so, and my grandparents lived in Tampa, so I knew Southwest Florida, I didn't know Sarasota so well, and, um, but I was impressed with how friendly the people were, Yeah. and still are, Yes. and that, yeah, it not only is it below the freeze line, and you get the nice weather, and you get the beach, and all that, it, you have this amazing culture. Yes. And I, I heard the Sarasota Orchestra, and I thought, hmm. And this is now 12 years ago, when they, they weren't then what they are now. Yeah. You know, went to the opera. Wow. Went to the Oslo Theater. Oh, my gosh. I mean, one thing after another, it was just, you know, this amazing experience, you know, from a, from a you know, culture perspective. So starting that year, I, I started writing letters and getting in contact with various people here in the area and saying, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about moving here. I'd love to just meet with you and just hear what you have to say about the area and get to know you. Right. Because when we move here, not that I was looking for any position or anything like right. that. That had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with just, you know, establishing... Relationships. You know, relationships. So that we weren't completely anonymous yes. in moving down here. Yes. That it was, it, you know, we had you know, friends. And plus, we had, I mean, when we came down here for that trip for the Army... Two friends of ours had already moved here and lived over on the bayfront, you know, and, and stayed with them. And the first thing I saw was that beautiful view. Okay. <laughs> I'm sold. Yes. So that's exactly what happened. And uh, it just became, every time we came down here, yeah. it was meeting somebody new and, and, and experiencing, you know, the vibrancy of the culture. So when, when we finally made the, the decision to move here and then started making the announcements, then people right. were saying, you know, as far as my association with Norman, Right. Oh, so this means you're not going to be... Yeah. Oh, we thought you were the heir apparent. So, never happened. Moved down here, and then when we made the announcement in D.C., mm -hmm. you know, the, the people were saying, 
why would you want to move to Florida? What's the matter with you? Because when we moved down here, you know, I, I didn't have a position per se. However, you know, Glory Music High, which has now become the choral artist of Sarasota, um, Glory Music High was looking for a new director, just as I was making the move down here. Yet so, again. Here again, you know, and, and June LaBelle, you, what a great personality she is, and, and she called me and said, you know, I've got a great group for you, and I think that if you're still interested, and you're still coming down to Sarasota, I want you to meet this group. And the rest is history. Right. Because then, you know, I took over, you know, and I told my friends, and, you know, they, they abbreviated it, right? So, Glory Music High became GM. So, I told my friends in D.C., <laughs> I'm moving to Florida to take over GM. And they thought for sure I'd gone nuts because I, I knew nothing about cars except how to turn them on and turn them off. And um, so, I ended up, you know, accepting that position. And the rest is history. And the rest is definitely yeah. history. Yeah, and then it's grown from there because, you know, from there I've made the associations then with Lee Ross. Right. You know, Lee and I met at a concert and, and I was just standing there off the side and she looked at me and she said, should I know you? Nah. I mean, I really think I should know you. And I, I said, well, Lee, I mean, because you know, we both went to Eastman School of Music. And then, you know, that, that was our, you know, our entree to each other. Mm -hmm. And then we established a nice rapport and... and it's almost like, you know, I mean, how could we not do things together? And that's how I ended up now with the Artist Series. Okay, so tell me about Piano Grand. It's four. Our monster concert with all these wonderful pianos. Yes, including on, you. On stage. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the lead instigator, let's put it that way. Mm. But, um, uh, so the, we the have... Lead, wait, stop for a second. The lead instigator, what does that mean? All right, so I'm the one that designed the program uh -huh. and actually engaged the, the, the pianist to come and play. Well, let's start with that then. How did you choose who? What gave you the idea? So it's, it's morphed over time. Ah. So the original five that mm -hmm. performed four years ago is slightly different than the group that's performing next week mm -hmm. on the, the 8th of December. And at the outset, it was easy because we have so many wonderful keyboard artists here yeah. that it was easy to pick five. Mm -hmm. And I picked the five that had the most name recognition out of, you know, thinking that, okay, that, that'll help right. in terms of getting the idea across and, and you know, people say, oh, so if it's, you know, the principal pianist of the Sarasota Orchestra or somebody from the opera or, right. you know, so that there was that, that recognition. So then we repeated it you know, had pretty much the same group except one of the fellows um, was not able to play, so we replaced him. And I was actually taken to task a little bit because people who had the names and with the name associations were all men. So in year number three, mm -hmm. you know, it was suggested, you know, you might want to look at some of the wonderful female, and we have some terrific female pianists here mm -hmm. I mean, you know, across the board. So it was easy to put together a group of 10. Wow. So there were two playing on each keyboard. But that presented so many challenges with rehearsal schedules and stuff, mm. you know, people coming from different places and, and the like. So we ultimately ended up going back to the original concept for this year. It was easier in terms of, you know, and we, I thought about having some other people playing, but it was just a difficulty with scheduling. Mm -hmm. So it's back to the same group that was here uh, three years ago. All right. So t talk about it. What do you, what can people expect? Imagine five concert grand pianos with five concert pianos playing. God. And it is an amazing sound to hear all these pianos playing. Um, there is music actually arranged for these five instruments. When we first started this out, I mean, I, I had done this in Washington, D.C. with the United States Army Band. So I knew of this arranger who lived in Baltimore who had done these types of things. So it was easy for the first couple of years to use those arrangements. Um, last year, 
the third year, we were running out of those arrangements. We had actually worked our way through them. So we created our own, and I even wrote some of them for that. Uh, this year, being the holiday edition, it allowed me to you know, expand and, and find some other things. So there actually were some pieces that were you know, from the holiday tradition. So we we're going to do the Nutcracker Suite oh, nice. for five pianos. And then actually, that's a combination of different arrangers that we put together. Someone wrote a long medley of pieces related to bells of Christmas. You know, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, silver bells, I mean, jingle bells, all those wonderful <laughs> bell tunes. And that'll be nice. And we have a couple of uh, sleigh rides. So we know the Leroy Anderson, you know, the very famous sleigh ride. There's also a Russian version of that. Tchaikovsky wrote a, a set of pieces called The Seasons, and the one for the 11th month, November, is actually called Troika, which is a sleigh. Yes. It's designed the same way every other program we've done in the genre has, has been, and that is we do, at the outset, classical pieces, and that's where, you know, we have a piece by Bach, which is very reminiscent of the holiday time, um, a piece by Vivaldi. Now, we think of Vivaldi as the, you know, with the seasons. And I, I thought about doing winter as being, you know, a, a part of this program, but it was, it was becoming a little problematic in finding the right arrangement that would work. So I chose another piece by Vivaldi that's evocative of rain falling, mm. because we get more, you know, rain than we do <laughs> snow, obviously. Yes, we do. So it, it made more sense to do something like this, and it's a very cool piece. And even the, the one of the pianos has a piece of felt placed underneath the... the um, uh, in between the hammers and the string, so that you know, in between the dampers and the string, so that it sounds like a, a plucked sound. It's very interesting, very interesting. And then uh, we do the entirety of the Tchaikovsky Suite. Wow! And how how many pieces do you do? There are, uh, let's see, um, I haven't counted it up, but they're probably all told. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you count all the individual pieces, they're probably about twenty different pieces on the. Wow. Program. And the finale of the program, everybody needs to bring their singing voice because we're going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus oh my God. en masse in the Opera House. So a thousand people singing the Hallelujah Chorus with these five pianists playing is going oh to be my pretty God. awesome. <laughs> Do you record this? Uh, no, we don't, actually. That's a so shame. We've done a video record. We, I think we did a video recording a couple of years ago, and it didn't turn out well. So no. we've just never opted to record it. So. Sounds glorious. It is, it is glorious. It's also, think about it, you know, with, with piano. Piano is a percussion instrument, even though it has a lot of tone to it. And, mm -hmm. You know, we try to make it sing. Um, it is cacophonous in, you know, in that regard. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll bet but it is. But it's fun, you know, and we do a lot of fun antics, too. I mean, we, you know, we trade pianos, and, oh, and there's some... So there's choreography. There's a little choreography. <laughs> well, we're not doing any ballet. You know, I see. Instead of twinkle toes, we'll be twinkle fingers. <laughs> twinkle, so, yeah. right, 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 right. Oh, that sounds wonderful. All right, so it's December 8th, and it is at the Opera House. It's a matinee show this year, 4 p.m., and there's also a reception following to meet the artists and, if and yes and tickets can be gotten at at artistseriesconcerts.org perfect yes. perfect I have another question and it is having given a life to the work of music primarily playing primarily piano what would you say about what that's like what it means to you well it's, it's fascinating to me that you, you say work there is a lot of work, obviously, involved. I mean, there's the, that personal dedication and the like, you know, and the practice and the rehearsal uh, and the study. But it never, ever feels like work. And it's so 
how can you give so much time of yourself to that? Well, it's easy because it's something you love to do. And musicians, by and large, are a sharing lot. You know, I mean, that we are by nature giving because we're, we're constantly giving of ourselves anyway when we're producing the music because, you know, it, it's not us, per se, that's, I mean, at least that's my view, that we're channeling. Yeah, it's coming yeah. through. It's coming through us, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, there's the composer that's involved, there's a creator that's involved, I mean, it's all these things, you know, just, and it just flows. Yeah, know, just, it's, it's a collaborative medium. Right. And then you have to have the audience, obviously, that's the, so that completes the circle. Right. Um, but in order to uh, uh, give yourself to it, I mean, one, you have to love it, and you, you have to be passionate about it, and, and you really have to think that, uh, not that you have something personal to say, but that somehow through you something is being said, something is being communicated, yes. and something is being received and received well. Um, and so that's my, my whole take on it, and, and that, you know, it's not me per se, it's just, you know, I've got this great body of art, you know, and it can just flow right through and, 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 and make itself known and felt. Yeah. And that, that to me is, is really important. So uh, how is it giving yourself, a, a, you know, your life to this? It, it's, it just feels so noble. By and large, I can, you know, just say that it, it's been a great ride. This is a very good place to stop. Oh, okay. And thank you so much, Joe. Oh, Lynn, just... my pleasure.